there's just so many layers of insight that come during this process and you know it's like you get one thing and that's really helpful for a while and then you kind of hit a wall and you need a new tool or a new layer of insight and I remember one day when I it suddenly clicked for me that I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to heal you know and I got this image in my head of like just a really silly cartoon character that was yelling at me like you better relax right now or else you know <laughs> and then I, re- I was like oh yeah that's not very relaxing <laughs> hey there i'm anna holtzman and this is from chronic pain to passion i'm a licensed psychotherapist and coach who helps passionate creatives like you learn how to heal from chronic pain and other symptoms so you can reclaim your energy and live the creative life of your dreams. In my past life, I was a disillusioned video editor working in reality TV and struggling with chronic migraine for over 10 years. But after I discovered the mind-body methods that I'll share with you on this podcast, I recovered from the chronic cycle and got back my creative spark. And I want that for you too. So let's get into it. Welcome to the 20th episode of From Chronic Pain to Passion. This is the last episode in season one. And after this, I'm going to take a three-week hiatus because rest is important. But don't worry, I'll be back in September with more interviews that I'm excited to share with you, including conversations with chronic pain experts, Dr. John Strax and Dr. Lilia Graue, as well as many more. In today's episode, I'm going to share with you a recording of a Facebook Live in which I had the honor of chatting with chronic pain expert Georgie Oldfield. And this time, I was the one being interviewed. Georgie is a physiotherapist practicing in the UK, and she's the founder of an organization called SIRPA, that's S-I-R-P-A, which stands for Stress Illness Recovery Practitioners Association. SIRPA is a really important hub of information, education, and patient and practitioner resources in the field of mind-body medicine. And you can find those resources on their website at serpa.org. That's S-I-R-P-A dot org. In the conversation that you're about to hear, Georgie interviewed me about my experience of recovering from chronic migraine. And I talked about some more recent developments in that journey which continues to unfold. Hello, Anna. Hi, Georgie. Thank you so much for having me on here. Oh, you're welcome. We, we follow each other, don't we? And we're on the same global email group. But it's the first time we've actually spoken, literally. Yes. Yes. And I'm obviously such an admirer. Whereabouts yeah. are you, Anna? I'm in New York City in the borough of Queens in oh. my basement office at home. Yes. <laughs> So you offered to come and talk to you about your uh, recovery story, and like many of the people that come and that end up working in this field, we generally had either chronic pain or lots of recurring health problems or whatever. Um, and I think I think that's good, really, because we experientially 
go through it ourselves. Uh, yeah. And I think it's nice for, for the clients to know that we understand. And I think that's the nice thing about this work is that you, you, you have to understand it, don't you? you Absolutely. This is, this is our life. This is, you know, you don't, it's, it's not a let's do this process, get better, and then just revert back to what we were doing, which is why yeah. we were in the situation in the first place. <laughs> yeah. And I honestly cannot even fathom doing this work without coming into it through my own pain recovery experience because I don't it it's not the sort of thing you can explain to another person who hasn't been through it and have them really understand yeah yeah so it's quite challenging so so for you then when when did it begin for you yeah so so presently I work as a psychotherapist and a coach but um Mm -hmm. that started in I want to say 2019. My dates are a little hazy, but you know, it wasn't all that long ago. So prior to that, I worked as a video editor in reality TV for Mm -hmm. 10 years. And yeah, the first time I ever experienced a migraine attack um, was on the first day of my very first job as a reality TV editor. So my, you know, TMS story, it was like very clear to me from the beginning that it was stress related, which isn't the case for a lot of people. But for me, you know, I arrived, was so stressed out this first day. It's a very, very high pressure, high paced, like fast paced, um, kind of brutally competitive industry. You can get fired at the drop of a hat. And so... I get there, the stakes are so high, I'm so nervous for loads of reasons, and I started to feel like I was maybe having some kind of panic, or, you know, I just noticed that I was very anxious, my mind was starting to go blank, but then I experienced that, like, ice pick in the head feeling, just this horrible shooting pain, and I I don't think I'd ever had... Um, an extreme headache ever before then. I don't remember ever having one before that moment. So that was the first time I experienced a migraine attack. Right. And, yeah. Gosh. So how how did you cope that day? I mean, we yeah. were able to or not. Yeah. So I mean, what I did was I I was so frightened to leave the office because when you're working as an editor on one of those fast-paced shows you're supposed to just be heads down for 10 hours straight and basically not breathe or take a bathroom break but there was nothing I could do in that moment you know I was completely incapacitated I fortunately was able to get up because sometimes that's really difficult when you're having a migraine attack but I did manage to kind of stumble out of the office I was working in a neighborhood that I wasn't so familiar with so I had to you know find out where is a drugstore around here a pharmacy and I because I'd never had uh, a bad headache before I didn't know what to take for it so I was you know scanning the medicine aisle and while you're having a migraine attack the last thing you want to do is have to think about anything figure out anything um, and I, I found, you know, a bottle of something that said my migraine, you know, extra strength. And I thought that's got to be what's happening to me because this is really bad. Um, and I took that over the counter medicine. And thankfully for me, it, it alleviated the headache pretty quickly, which again, does not always happen that way when you're having a migraine attack. But I was so fortunate that it did work that way. And I was able to go back to work. And, you know, I did well at that job. And it started then a 10 year career in that field. Um, 
Yeah. So, so how did the the I mean, did the migraine start yeah. coming regularly, or how did it affect yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. So what happened was that after that first incident, I then did continue to get migraine attacks, but it was certainly not chronic in the beginning. It was like, you know, very far and few between once in a while. And whenever it would happen, I would take that same over the counter painkiller. I didn't think too much of it because it wasn't a huge intrusion into my life. And the way I was managing it was working fairly well. But over the years, gradually the attacks started to come more frequently and it was a they had been happening for a few years already before it even crossed my mind to mention this to a doctor so yeah finally I was like these are happening a little too frequently so I mentioned it to my general practitioner and Mm -hmm. that doctor sent me to a neurologist and the neurologist said it sounds like you're having migraine attacks so they said they prescribed me um, a prescription medication, you know, emergency painkiller that they said would be better than the over-the-counter. And so then I was taking prescription medication. And that was, you know, a decent way of managing it for me for another several years. And they did become more frequent, you know, they continued to become more frequent, but it's still it still wasn't something that I considered, I wouldn't have even thought of calling it chronic, to be honest, even though it it was kind of a regular thing by that point. But it wasn't until I decided to leave my career in television after 10 years and pursue something that I felt passionate about, which was becoming a therapist. Mm-hmm. And this part of the story, I think, is interesting because... I always knew that the headaches were stress-related, and I worked in a very stressful job. And I had this gut feeling that once I left television, which was so stressful, and also like a career that many aspects of it didn't really match with my values. I thought, once I'm doing something that matches my values, and it's, you know, therapy grad school is going to be a place where you can talk about your feelings and express yourself then probably the headaches are going to go away. But it was exactly the opposite because it was in grad school that they really did um, take over my life and they were happening three times a week and I was having to miss days of my clinical internship, miss classes. It started to become, you know, a big problem in my life and I was really scared that I wouldn't be able to have this career I was studying for once I graduated because I couldn't reliably show up to a job, you know, I couldn't reliably show up to clients. So yeah, it escalated. So that must have been a really scary time for you. It was troubling. Yes. And I do remember mornings where I'd wake up with just a terrible migraine attack and the confusion of not knowing why it was happening, not knowing, you know, is my life always going to be like this? I mean, am I going to be able to have a life? And I just remember crying into my pillow, crying to my partner, you know, saying to him, I don't know what's happening to me, just, you know, feeling really desperate and, and frightened at moments. So did you end up see, going to see various people and getting various tests done? So, yeah, here's another interesting part, I think, of my story that's a little different from 
maybe the more common TMS stories where folks mm -hmm. oftentimes go to every doctor and try every procedure. So I had a little bit of the opposite experience where I continued to go to see neurologists. I changed neurologists over time, not because I was looking for a new perspective, just simply because my insurance changed. So I wound up getting some different perspectives. And I always knew it was stress related. And I would say to the neurologist, like, I think this is related to emotional issues. And they'd say, yeah, it probably is. That's probably a factor. And I'd say, well, what, you know, can you help me with like, what can I do with that? And they'd just say, oh, try meditation. And, you know, that's, that's a really small piece of, of the whole story. So I found it very frustrating that I, I knew there was probably another way to, um, yeah, to work with the migraines, but no one was really able to help me with that. Mm -hmm. And um, at some point, I went to a new neurologist, and she very adamantly wanted me to get a scan, a brain scan. And I just said, no, I mean, which was very defiant of me, right? Because we're trained to just do what physicians tell us to do. Yeah. She was really trying to put some fear into me to encourage me to do it. Because with the best intentions, she thought that was important. But I just, on a gut level, I knew like, if they find something incidental, they're going to have to pursue it. And it's going to stress me out. And I just know that it's not something physical. I just know it. Um, and then when I was in grad school, I again saw a new neurologist because then I was on the student health plan. And this physician, at that point, I was getting the migraines so much more frequently than I ever had before. And one of the problems this was creating is that I was running out of my prescription painkillers every month. There's, you know, an allotment of nine in the States when you're taking sumatriptan, which is what I had. And I was running out of them and also getting rebound headaches because I was taking the meds differently. And so this new neurologist suggested it was time for me to go on uh, a daily preventative painkiller. And again, yeah. I just said, no, thank you. I'm like, uh -huh. I just feel in my gut that's not going to help me progress with this. And I think it was not long after walking out of that uh, doctor's office that I, for the first time, shockingly, started to Google, you know, holistic uh -huh. ways to heal from migraine. Like, I just had never done my own research before for some reason. Mm -hmm. And so I can just yeah. trying to cope with the symptom and get on with your career. But yeah, exactly. Crazy, yeah? And the coping was working well enough at, mm -hmm. up until then. Um, yeah. But then it wasn't. Cases, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then it wasn't. And when I started to Google it, this was 2018, I believe. And I was really fortunate because at that point, the Curable app existed. And so yeah. I started getting ads for Curable. And that was my entry point into learning about mind-body medicine. Yeah, oh, that's fabulous. Yes, yeah, so a lot of information there. And, yeah. uh, and then, like you say, when you start looking at it, then you start to keep getting uh, information. So oh, yeah. somebody I went down the rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> but so often when somebody's not ready, like when they get yeah. a book, they might just throw it to the side and not get, you know, pick it up again yeah. for another year. I think, you know, maybe online actually showing an interest like that and having it put in front of you a few times actually could be a benefit for people who may, may not be ready initially. 
And next yeah. time, after a few times, then they start thinking, oh, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because I had been studying um, somatic experiencing therapy for a while at that point. So I was very open to mind body and I was very into it. And I was, you know, like I said, I was like, I know this is stress related and I want to learn more. And I, as soon as I found the curable app, I was like, my mind is just hungry for it. Like, yes, this is the missing piece I've been looking for this TMS approach. Um, but at the same time, I later on did remember that, um, Year, some years before when I was still working in television, um, the the boyfriend that I was dating at that time, this is an ex-boyfriend now, but I do remember one time I was having breakfast with him and I started, a migraine started coming on and I started like, you know, I was like telling him like, oh no, it's happening. I need to get back to my apartment and get my medicine. And I remember he said to me, you know, I, in hindsight, I think he was trying to be helpful because he said, I, I notice that when this happens with you, you start to like catastrophize, you get anxious, and then it seems to escalate. And I remember that I was so annoyed that he said that, you know, in hindsight, I was like, oh, he was, he was right on. But that, it, I, it didn't hit, you know, what I heard was you're being hysterical and I yeah. was very resentful of it. Yeah. No, I can imagine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So by then you'd had migraines for how long? Um, it was over 10 years. So it was probably 10. 12 years at that point. Right. Wow. Yeah, it's a long time. Yeah. So this was coming towards you beginning to recognize them as being mind-body then? Yeah. Well, I had always recognized them on some right. level, on some right. level yeah. as being mind-body, but I didn't really have like a framework for mm -hmm. what does that mean and how can you start interacting with that and yes. having an influence on how things are going and presumably curable helped with that tremendously yes the psychoed uh portion of the curable app mm -hmm. that was that was the missing piece for me was yeah. the psychoeducation about mm -hmm. what chronic pain is and how it works and that started opening up my insights into how to affect change with it. Right. Fantastic. And yeah. how soon did you notice a difference? I mean, were you, were you aware yeah. then, was it a, uh, an awareness of them coming less often or awareness when it started that you could do something about them? Tell me a bit about how yeah, you progressed. I started noticing a difference fairly quickly after I started using the curable app and I was primarily um, listening to psychoeducation and also doing what I, I think the app calls it like brain exercises or something. Mm -hmm. I was practicing things like word replacement. You know, when I was thinking about the attacks, I would swap out the word migraine or attack or pain for a silly word. And yeah. I was using bananas because that's what the app suggested. Yeah. And I started noticing, you know, that started taking the fear down. Mm -hmm. And I started noticing a shift fairly quickly, not, um, not like full remission right away. You know, some people do have those dramatic stories where they read a book and suddenly all the pain's gone. That was certainly not my experience. But I did start to experience a reduction in frequency. Mm -hmm. And I think this is kind of an interesting part of the my journey that a lot of people can probably relate to is that 
the way I, I was tracking my progress in those early days by keeping a log of the number of painkillers I took each month. And initially, that was very, very helpful to me because I started to see that number going down. And Mm -hmm. that gave me proof that like, I'm actually having an effect on my own mind body experience. And this is so empowering. And it gave it filled me with hope. And it was um, gave me a very helpful boost of confidence in the beginning. Yeah. Then as I went along, I discovered that this process is not a straight line at all. So I think for the first few months, the number of painkillers was steadily reducing. But then it went up again, and then it went down again, and then it went way up again, and then it went down, and then it leveled out, and I started to feel frustrated. And what a few different mind-body practitioners helped me understand is that at that stage of the game, my close tracking of the number of painkillers I was taking was starting to become a pressure that I was putting on myself and it was, you know, the hyper focus, the hyper vigilance, the perfectionism and self-criticism of like, oh no, I'm failing at this thing. I'm not succeeding. So I had to give up that, that tracking log at, at a certain stage. Yeah. I think, I think that's quite common, isn't it? It's either yeah. people focusing on the medication that they're taking or the pain levels yeah. Uh, and then each day writing down the pain levels, but often not considering, you know, doing that is not so bad when you're also including what's going on in my life today or, you know, yeah. reflecting on what created that trigger um, rather than just looking, making a list of how much pain they got. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then people yeah. look at, tend to look at how far they've still got to go. I'm still not there yet, rather than, you know, look at how far I've come and focusing yes. on that. Um yeah, and I think there is a lot of it. It's, it reminds me of um, about what what do they call it in the NHS? Um, uh, pacing, where they talk about pacing, yeah. doing things. Um, probably, I suppose you would could do that with migraines as well. You know, pacing how much work you could do, for example. But certainly, yeah. um, pacing how much you can do of something, and sometimes that creates a lot of pressure as well. Um, but it's far better to sort of use emotional awareness and somatic stuff um, and allow yourself to do a little more rather than thinking, right, I've done a minute today, so I'm going to do a minute and a half next time. And then that increases pressure again. And as we know, adding pressure is not what we want. It increases resistance. (laughs) It's not. It's not. There was this one day that I remember getting, like, there are just so many layers of insight that come during this process and you know it's like you get one thing and that's really helpful for a while and then you kind of hit a wall and you need a new tool or a new layer of insight and I remember one day when I it suddenly clicked for me that I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to heal you know and I got this image in my head of like just a really silly cartoon character that was yelling at me like you better relax right now or else, you know? And then I, re- I was like, oh, yeah, that's not very relaxing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great. And, that, and as you say, you know, it is about insights, isn't it? Because it's not just yeah. about education and understanding it. That's up here. And this yeah. is more about aha and unconscious insights. And then because that then it's almost like it, it probably does just allow for a, a release an internal release, a letting go, because there's a yeah. bit of a fear that just um, calms down. And it's that sort of thing. Yeah. And sometimes it can be 
you've read you know a book and then you read another book and it says a similar thing but in a slightly different way and because you've already had that pre-implanted it's often it's that second third or fourth book or the second third or fourth time you've read it that suddenly goes oh yes and you get that gut instinct and a release absolutely or it could even be like a tone of voice like for example that story I told about the ex-boyfriend you know I mean, it's hard to hear things from someone you're in a relationship with to begin with, but I probably heard in his voice, whether it was there or not, I interpreted, you know, a criticizing tone, whereas then hearing, you know, hearing these concepts of mind-body medicine from, you know, some particular practitioner had a tone of voice that reminded me of my grandfather, who was a very soothing, calming presence for me. Yeah. And that allowed it to really come in in a way that felt like medicine instead of criticism. Yes, absolutely. And 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 who says it as well can help because often yeah. family and close friends, you can't take it more as criticism. Yes, <laughs> Whereas absolutely. And that's the case of my family. It was just Georgie. You know, why we listening to Georgie? Yeah. I'm hear from somebody else. It might be completely different. It would be completely different. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, not enough so, neutrality when it comes from no, a family member. Often. No, definitely not. So yeah. what sort of insights did you gain? I mean, when you started looking at your life and looking at uh, why you ended up with migraines, uh, yeah. did you gain some really interesting insights about that that have helped you moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's too many of them to name, but I kind of in hindsight, broken them down into, I'd say, five categories. So the the first insight came from the psychoeducation materials that I was first introduced to through the Curable app and then through other books and and lectures and things. Um, But for me, that insight boiled down to that pain is a danger signal and it's fired off by your nervous system when your nervous system feels that you are not safe in some way. And so the, the insight that came to me from that is, oh, I've been trying to make these symptoms go away. I've been seeing them as something I need to get rid of. And trying to get rid of them just only inflames them. It's like, if your friend is upset and they're crying and you're like, stop crying, just like make this go away. It's only going to get worse and they're going to get more distressed. So I realized, Oh, I need to stop trying to make it go away. I need to help myself feel safer again. That's where I need to place my focus. So that was the first insight for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then each new insight I think came when I, hit a plateau or hit a wall or had you know some troubling setback Mm -hmm. flare-up so the next insight came when I I'd been making progress or I'd been you know working on this for about a year and then I had a really bad flare-up and I was like all right there's got to be another piece to this puzzle that I need and that was when I'd been hearing about journaling expressive writing Mm -hmm. but I was like avoiding it and I wasn't even sure why so I thought okay I'm whatever this is the thing I haven't tried I'm gonna try this and then I was like oh this I really need this this the emotional release like uh, finding um, a conduit to help Mm -hmm. me release and just make space for all of these stored up emotions that are like Mm -hmm. 
like a kettle with too much boiling water in it. You know, it's creating pressure in my mind body system. So that was the second insight is like my emotions need a safe place to go and they need a regular practice, not just, you know, not just my weekly therapy session, but it's kind of like going to the bathroom and flushing it out daily. Like I need a daily practice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was, so that's that the, second was the second one. The third one was um, this also came at another, like, I don't know if I'd even call it a flare up, but I was, uh, the journaling was helping me a ton with the kind of major spikes of pain. Those started to reduce a lot. And I think they'd maybe almost completely gone away at this certain point, but I started experiencing something different that was less distressing, but still very annoying, which Mm -hmm. is that I was waking up with head tension almost every morning. And it was not, it was not like level 10 pain. It was maybe level three, but Mm -hmm. it's like, I don't want to wake up with that every single morning. It's annoying. Um, So one morning, this had been going on for a while. And then one morning I thought, you know, I haven't really tried like having a conversation with this morning head tension yet. And I'm not even going to get out of bed and go to my journal. I'm just going to lie in bed and get curious about it. And I started asking myself, what am I thinking about in when I first wake up, like the instant that I wake up with thoughts are going through my head. And I realized like, Oh, the first thoughts I'm having are, Oh, you didn't get this done yesterday. You didn't get that done. You all these things on your list of to-dos you didn't get done yesterday. And I was like, this is self-criticism. I'm I'm telling myself what a terrible person I am the first thing in the morning. And of course I'm waking up with head tension. So I was like, all right, I'm telling myself I'm bad. I need to start telling myself I'm worthy. And I just started with the affirmations I mean affirmations was not something I had felt interested in before that moment but um I was like I I need I need affirmations and that became like all day long I was saying I am worthy I am worthy it became almost an obsession um but it really helped me and it shifted things again and I it's really started to change my relationship with myself and the tension came down um, yeah. I think that's really yeah. important because many people say, you know, well, uh, positive, uh, positive self-talk, affirmations, you know, no, they're no, no use. Uh, and just this positive psychology. But actually they are, as long as you're also dealing with the underlying stuff. But yes. the way if we're constantly talking negatively to ourselves and, you know, lashing ourselves all the time, then how much better is it if we actually change the language in how we're speaking to ourselves? So absolutely, among everything else, it can be hugely helpful, as you found. Yes, it's it's so stressful. And you don't even realize it because you're just so used to talking to yourself yeah. that way that you don't even notice it. Yeah. Um, I, I love metaphors. They really help me. So mm-hmm. there was another metaphor came to me during that time, which was, wow, I'm if I spoke to a dog the way that I'm speaking to myself, all this criticism and like mm-hmm. bad, bad the dog would, you know, be like scrunching up its shoulders and the brow would furrow and you could see the tension in its body. And I thought, well, how do I expect my body to react to that kind of talk? Of course, it's going to be stressed. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a lovely metaphor. 
Yeah. Okay. So we are okay. we'll so answering that. Two, two more. So the, the next one was, um, this actually has to do with the, the painkillers. I, the next one was when I realized I was putting pressure on myself to <laughs> wean off of the painkillers. And it, this coincided actually with the time when I began to work professionally as, as a chronic pain therapist and coach and sort of, you know, put myself out publicly as someone that's knowledgeable about this. Yep. What I didn't realize at first is that in stepping out into that role, I started to take on this perfectionist idea that, well, if I'm helping other people, I need to be a hundred percent symptom free. Otherwise I'm a fraud. And obviously that pressure was a huge yeah. I think that's so pressure. common in the yeah. practice field. I really do. And then they yeah. start to feel shame for having a symptom. Whereas we're all human. Yeah. We're all facing stress. Yes. I remember right at the beginning when I set up Zerpa and uh, um, we were talking about practitioners starting in this field who had still had symptoms. And I remember Dave Clark mm -hmm. saying, as long as we're further ahead than the client, we can still offer them something. Yes, I love that. I've heard that said by people in so many different fields, too. I think that's just so universally true. Um, and I, what I noticed is that in trying to like hide or pretend that I wasn't having symptoms, not only was it a trigger to my symptoms, but it was not at all helpful to my clients because I was sort of role modeling that perfectionism and that pressure. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. It's about being authentic. Um, yes. And yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I, you know, of course, or not surprisingly, I found that once I started being more honest and open about mm -hmm. my ongoing um, process with symptoms and changed my goal from you know, reducing all symptoms to just being kinder to myself. Um, that not surprisingly affect, you know, allowed for like another softening of the symptoms. Yeah. And I think it helps yeah. clients to recognize that we're normal. Yeah. You know, and it's so about much. not going into the fear around it. So that if, yes. you know, if you have a symptom, um, even if you've had an actual, you know, accident and you've broken a leg, you go into fear around it and catastrophizing, of course, that pain is going to be significantly yeah. more. So it's about, you know, really modeling how we deal with stress, how we deal with symptoms if they do pop up um, and sharing that, yes, okay, you know, many people, many practitioners will have symptoms off and on, but it's about not going into that fear, not driving yeah. the symptom and then exploring and getting more of an understanding about um, why it's there, what's going on in order to be able to work with it. Uh, yeah. I think that just shows that we're humans. <laughs> Absolutely. And I found it very helpful to, you know, start gradually meeting, like through Facebook groups and stuff, meeting other peers and colleagues working in the field and having conversations and, you know, mm. being shy about it at first, but then saying, oh, I, I still get symptoms and I feel embarrassed about it. And, the, you know, hearing, well, I can relate to all of that and it's totally normal and we're all sharing yeah. similar human experiences around this and through that we were able to help other people yeah mm. exactly so you got one more yes yeah so interestingly i'm and i think this is a big part of the untangling that perfectionism and pressure of needing to be mm. you know 
done, quote unquote, with the healing and the perfectly yes. symptom free. It's like my my journey continues on and on. And I actually experienced another insight and and like shift in symptoms very recently, like a couple months ago, when I was I was like, you know, I've been part part of my process of like being more authentic too was sharing. Um, I wrote a blog about how I still continue to take painkillers for um, the head tension that I experienced. And it's about once a week. I wind up, or I had been taking painkillers about once a week for years and was feeling, you know, like um, shame about it and perfectionism about it and was hiding it. And I thought, why don't I just be honest about this? Because I don't want to be modeling shame and pretending and curating myself for this so it was very helpful to share that it took another layer of pressure off and then but then a couple of months ago I thought you know it would be nice to not be experiencing this head tension like so frequently and I don't want to put pressure on it but let me get curious about what's going on here and I noticed that I was like I have this really strong habit of worrying and problem solving, like almost all the time. I'm (laughs) almost always preoccupied with worrying about something or like trying to find a problem to solve. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I thought it's a habit, isn't it? If there isn't a problem, you'll find a problem to solve that you can worry about. That's often the case. Absolutely a habit. And I thought, well, I'm, it's almost like an addiction. Like I'm, I'm, it's kind of, you know, like, oh, where's the next problem to solve? Almost like playing a video game, like I need something to chew on. And so I started to just bring some gentle awareness to it. And every time I noticed, you know, I could feel it in my body when things start going into that worry spiral. And I would just ask myself like, oh, are you, are you getting drawn into worry because it's a habit? And Mm -hmm. And I started to ask myself, like, oh, well, just in a genuine way, like, what are you hoping to accomplish with this worry spiral? And then that would make me laugh, you know, yeah. and it would bring yeah. levity. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, this is really not going to accomplish anything. And then I'd check in, like, is there actually something that you want to be doing right now instead of worrying? Yeah. And oftentimes it was like, oh, yeah, I want to be, like, enjoying the sun that's out today. Um and I've just been practicing that for a couple of months. And not surprisingly, the the head tension has decreased again. And I'm not, it's the, the I mean, I hate to fixate on this, but the number of painkillers has dropped as well. That's <laughs> so just interesting. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. And uh, it's, that, it's that awareness, isn't it? Really knowing. Um, and I think one of the things that so many people well, we're, we're always in our heads thinking, overthinking. Yeah. Uh, and and I'm, in, I'm on a course at the moment where it's really constantly becoming so much more aware. What am I thinking of? Am I judging? Am I this, that, the other? So it's yeah. quite an intense process, really. But it's yeah. so good because it absolutely, I mean, I thought, oh, I've been working on this judgment, for example, for so many years. I don't judge. We all do. We yeah. all do. Yeah. And, all, and then it, it's about working on our underlying beliefs as well. You know, really yeah. looking at what are the beliefs behind us 
people pleasing or being critical or whatever. And when we get curious and really look at the underlying beliefs below it or beliefs uh, beneath it all, it becomes really interesting. And then we can start working on those. Um, yeah. but, but so many people are just not aware of what they're saying to themselves or how much pressure they're putting on themselves through their, through their thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And something that I have experienced and continue to experience is that with each stage of, of insight that I find myself in, I find that in the beginning of it, it's, it's such a new thing. It requires actually a lot of effort to become more aware in that area. Yes. And so it, yeah. for me personally, it can actually be helpful to bring a hyper focus to it initially. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's just naturally what happens for me, you know, and I'll be like saying the affirmation just like all day, every day. And it's, it's a big part of what's in my head. And then it reaches a stage where I'm like, uh, okay, this is too intense. And now, now the affirmation has become the intensity and I need to kind of like get a little gentle and back off this a bit. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But no, this is great. And I think all those insights that you've gained uh, will be really helpful to people. Uh, and I think what's even better is the fact that you said that quite a few of those happened when you were going through a challenging time, you know, yeah. when you had relapse or whatever, because so many people go into fear then and really um, just think, oh, that's it, they're going to go back to where they were. Actually, that doesn't happen very often because you no. can't unlearn what we've learned. Absolutely. And we might initially go into, ah, into that fight or flight, but then it's like, oh, okay, hang on. Why has this happened? What's going on at the moment? And when you start getting curious rather than fearful, that's when we can gain the insights like you've done. So great. Yeah. And I think something that's so helpful to like my own process, I don't know if this is something you'll relate to, something that's very helpful for me in my own process is working with clients, because I observe clients going through all the similar things that I've gone through. And I'll see them having, you know, a flare up and then having a bit of a panic of like, oh, I'm back at square one. But as the outside observer to their experience, I can see like, there's no way you'll ever be back at square one. You're a totally different person now yeah. in that you have all these insights and awareness and knowledge yeah. that you didn't have back then. Yeah. And, and isn't that helpful then for you to be able to point that out to them? Yeah. <laughs> so, so often people have, say, have said, well, I've read all the books, I've done all the programs, you know, I've, I know it. I could yeah. I even have people say to me, I could do your job. I know it. Yeah. You know, I understand yeah. all this. And they, well, actually, progress is a very indi individualized thing. So yeah. how one person responded doesn't mean that that's how everybody else um, will respond. So there's so many different factors, aren't there, from people's yeah. experiences and their personality, behaviors, and the, the likes and dislikes. There's so many different things. Um, but I think it's, yeah, it's just important and it help, it's helpful when people are going through something and they feel like, oh, I've done it, done it all, to actually recognize this is an unconscious process. And, yeah. and like your partner pointed it out to you when you weren't ready, you didn't see that yourself. There are so many no. things that people can point out to us because they're reflecting back things that we can't see ourselves. And that's where it can be helpful to work with somebody, especially somebody who is experienced in this field. Yeah, and I find with clients who come to me, everybody is so unique and different and pace is different and what works for yeah. them is different but 
there is to my perception a common thread in that those who come to me who've already done all the courses and read all the books and all the things and like why isn't it working mm -hmm. it's nearly always about the self-compassion piece that they're needing support with because that is just it's very hard to see where we're yeah. being unkind to ourselves I think absolutely and I think that for me it's about the, the lack of self-compassion and also yeah. the in the heads all the time just yeah. constantly thinking analyzing you know worrying whatever um and often in that case in fact very often when I come across clients like that um they have very little felt sense very yeah. little awareness of how they're feeling to the point that if you ask them to close their eyes and imagine their, you know, their child when they were born or just cuddling their child or some sort of love or compassion, it could be a cat, anything, that they have no awareness of anything in the body. Yeah. Uh, and the same with if they, uh, you know, reflect on something challenging that's happened, uh, no, no awareness of sensation. Now, the sensations are there, it's just they're not aware of them. For yeah. example, you know, I've been uh, revamping some of the training online uh, today, and uh, one uh, I was talk talking about predictive coding or the yeah. expectation effect. I love that book, The Expectation Effect by David Robson. Um, and I uh, decided to include the, you know, have you seen the photo of the, uh, an image that looks like a rabbit or it looks like a duck? Oh, yeah, yeah. So you can either see one or the other. Um, but you can't see them both at the same time. Yeah. And more often than not, when people first look at it, you see one and you don't, it's only yes. when you recognize there's a second or you sort of reflect on it, you can then see the other. <clears throat> and that's so often the case. If we're in our heads all the time, we have no awareness what's in here, but we can train ourselves to, to do that so that we are far yeah. more aware. You know, gosh, do I know if I've been triggered in any way, I have an immediate response in my body before I even have an awareness, you know, to think about it, which is great because it gives me yeah. that opportunity to go, okay, there's something I need to work on here um, before it becomes a, a symptom. Yeah, and and interestingly, I find, you know, with most people and certainly with myself, there's nothing really that would have motivated me to do that deep awareness work had it not been for the pain. I mean, yeah. I wish that weren't the case, but for me, it certainly was. It often is the case, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and any progress is like this anyway, isn't it? Like you yeah. were saying, it's not going to be just all beautiful and straight and aligned. Uh, and it's often the challenges. I've always found that it's the biggest challenges in my life that have given me the biggest learning opportunities. Um, and it always seems, you know, that oh, it's just a saying, but it's not. When we really do yeah. get curious and look at, okay, so this shit all that happened what can i learn from this how can i move forward from this make sure it doesn't happen again and to just make sure i've really learned from this um, and that that can be fabulous it really can and changed trajectory or whatever yeah absolutely and i think also the the healing or recovery process it's a lot like the creative process and you know when you're working on a piece of writing or a project and you're trying to get an idea and you're pushing 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 it doesn't come but sometimes when you go off to take a walk or go take a shower it's like oh yes it just comes to you and do you know what that's a really good point Anna I hadn't thought of it like that before 
Um, because when we we talk about letting go and surrendering, don't we? And people struggle with that word surrender, thinking, well, if I surrender, then I'm going to be attacked. No, yeah. actually, in that letting go, in that internal just letting go, for me, when I'm trying to come up with a, a blog, let's say, I'm trying to think of an idea or I'm trying to write something, that doesn't work. Um, and mm. you know what? There have been times when I've been on a run and the blog's just come in my head and I have to quickly go and I start writing it or, or I put my recorder on my phone on and I start doing that. There was one night uh, when I'd been trying to write something uh, and I just couldn't. And it got to 11 o'clock at night and I was going to bed and finally chilled and it suddenly came to me. And I had to quickly go and type yeah. it all up. It took 10 minutes, which normally <laughs> would have taken me longer. So absolutely, I completely agree, agree because it's a completely different feel. There's that resistance we're putting on ourselves to either get better or to write something. Whereas yeah. actually when we've gone for a walk, when we are feeling chilled and we, everything just calms down, it comes naturally. Yes. Yes. It's like letting it happen. And sometimes you've got to really just distract yourself from it in a way and, and go for that walk in order to let go. And they do say, you know, those really successful people um, in business are ones who always, you know, either meditate for an hour a day or they lock themselves up away from everybody else. Yeah. Time. They always go for a walk, they journal and they have, they know they have to have this space to just allow things to just calm down and not to try to work. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much, Anna. Uh, this would be great. And I'm sure it will have uh, yeah, helped a lot of people. Let me just, one one question before we finish. Yeah. I know a few people who, you know how we have people who want to uh, meet people who've had the same symptom as them, for oh, example, yes. because otherwise they can't possibly yes. uh, believe that it, their condition is a mind-body condition. Yeah. Um, so, and I've had that, it, it, that's been the case with a couple of people who've had migraines as well. Yeah. Um, how, uh, you are obviously proof here that, you know, you can calm these migraines down, resolve these calm, uh, migraines, get your life back. Is there anything you would like to say to people, to migraine sufferers, basically, um, in, in relation to your, how that, how they could be helped? Yeah, well, um, I, I would absolutely say anything is possible and feeling better is possible. You're not stuck with the way that things are right in this moment, even if it feels that way. And it's understandable if it does feel that way. Um, you don't have to believe right now that mm -hmm. things could be better in order for that possibility to exist. Um, and also, wanting to find someone who's had the same or a similar symptom as you, I think makes a lot of sense because I think mm -hmm. migraine recovery is different in certain ways from let's say back pain recovery where mm -hmm. um, like I hear folks talking a lot about the kind of graded exposure that's helpful for like back pain or knee pain where you're um moving back into movement little by little and exposing yourself to that. Whereas with migraine, I found for me, it, it doesn't really work the same exact way. Like triggers for me in the past would have been, you know, a noisy restaurant or very bright lights. Mm -hmm. And 
um, using graded exposure to those things was not something that I needed, nor was it helpful. So yeah. there are, you know, different little tweaks to the work that I think can be helpful yeah. for different types of symptoms. Absolutely. But I think it's definitely worth people knowing that obviously you've had this experience yourself. It just yeah. reminded me of when I used to have migraines, um, not all the time, um, but I became, was very clear that when I had a migraine um, and had to go to bed because I couldn't do anything else but close my eyes, the pain disappeared before I actually fell asleep. I was always aware of that because I kept going, kept yeah. trying to keep going, keep going, and then just finally let go completely to fall asleep. And before I was asleep, the pain had just started really calming down. Um, and that, again, is about letting go, uh, surrendering. Yeah. Um, and I know some people have, you know, 20, migraines 24-7, and again, they feel that it's, this is you know, it can't be mind-body, but it absolutely can yeah. be. Um, and absolutely. You're, fighting it all the time, trying to cope. Yes, absolutely. And I would say, you know, regardless of what, you know, what feels believable to you in this moment, there's absolutely nothing to lose by working mm -hmm. on being kinder with yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and maybe listening to those five steps again, uh, really seeing how those could be helpful. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I hope uh, listeners who listen to this once it's recorded will find it really helpful as well. I'm sure they will. Um, and thank you so much, Anna. Thank you so much for having me on, Georgie, and for everything that you do for this field of mind-body medicine. Oh, thank you. Thank you, too. <laughs> You're part Thanks. of it as well. <laughs> thank you, and goodbye, everybody. Take care. Hey, friends, it's Anna. Let me ask you something. If you're struggling with chronic symptoms, have you ever felt like pulling your hair out and screaming, why the bleep am I still in pain? That's definitely what I was asking earlier on in my recovery, so I can totally empathize and I would love to help you get some clarity. So I've created a quiz just for you that's called, why the bleep am I still in pain? And yes, you can take this quiz even if your symptoms are not pain specifically. Just head to my website, annaholtzman.com, and you'll see a big old button there that says take the quiz. So why don't you head there right now before you forget? And if you found this episode helpful, please go rate and review the podcast. That helps other people who are struggling with chronic symptoms too to find the podcast, and I would appreciate it enormously. Thank you for listening. And until next time, take good care.